Hello, my name is Jacob, and I'm a Norse pagan, and this is the 14th episode of the Folk Podcast. In this episode, we have a guest from across the ocean. His name is Raul. He is from Spain. And Raul, just, just go ahead and start talking. Let us hear that beautiful Spaniard voice. <laughs> Hello, everybody. First of all, uh, thank you all for having me here. I'm, I'm pretty excited, actually. I feel like this whole week is speaking out loud and only in my house just to practice English or whatever, so you guys can understand me. Um, uh, well, I'm from Spain. I'm, some of you maybe remember me from the video uh, I did with Jacob, where he took like the poem I broke for Astara, A Note to Winter. Um, and yeah, I'm basically that guy. <laughs> I'm from Spain. I'm from southern Spain, to be, to be precise. Uh, and yeah, I've been, uh, I'm a North Spain. <laughs> um, so how long have you been in the faith and like, what was your first experience with it? Uh, well, like actually worshiping the gods and uh, the gods and being, you know, that realizing I was worshiping the gods uh, around four years or so. Uh, that's when I had like my first big experience with the gods. I've always liked uh, Norse mythology, but uh, being in a Catholic country, mostly like it's Spain, and also studying in a Catholic school, it makes things difficult to realize like any sort of connection there. The, the church makes like a really, really good job on making you think that if you don't believe in their God, you actually just don't have faith or whatever. And it takes like some time and some maturity for you to uh, experience and get out of that, of that box the case you're in and actually realize you don't have to believe in their uh, beliefs to actually found something to believe in. That may sound random, but. Um, and yeah, basically with that line of thought, I started like, playing with Buddhism um, and other like, mm, you know, uh, distance from the Christian religion. And then, you know, I started to say things like, hey, Thor is humming in the skies every time I saw a storm. And at first it was most of a, of a cultural thing, not like I, I did believe in that time. But, you know, one day I was in my village uh, and it was one of those days in December where it's always rainy, like the whole day. And one of those times I said like, hey, Thor is humming the skies. Um, and I just paused there for a second and I started looking at the sun and I was like, damn, Thor is humming the skies. And I realized, I realized, I realized just then what I was seeing. And I, you know, I, I, I didn't understand like the, the importance of that moment of time, but as soon as you see it, it's hard to get uh, back. Even though it was like, uh, a kind of break point for me sometimes because I, I have like this conflict uh, with my scientific mind and my newfound faith. I don't know if I'm <laughs> explaining myself too well. So right now, so was Thor was the first God you worked with or at least the third, first God you uh, are paid witness to or saw. Um, what yeah. what primary deity do you work with now mostly? Or do you kind of work with a bunch of them? For, for most of the time I've worked uh, with Odin and Thor, primarily with Thor because I you know started with him but then uh, as soon as I realized I was seeing Thor, I had more interest in rereading all the sources I had to kind of get a more accurate picture because it's not the, it's not the same when you read it at, yes, I'm interested, an interested story in the subject. It's really, really different as when you read it, like I want to learn this because I want to understand the gods and I want to understand what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing. And since then, I work in mob with Odin, and I have a few really, really strong experience with both him and Thor. But since this summer, actually, the god I mostly work with is Bragi, which is actually my favorite. The reaction has come like uh, really fast, 
from one particular event that uh, chain it all. Um, but now I cannot, I, I cannot, uh, you know, it, it's hard to, to see how didn't, did not I realize Bragi was there earlier. Because if I an analyze like a lot of stuff about my life and about my, my experience with this, it's like, man, I was blind or something. <laughs> Seriously. So I know, like you were saying earlier, um, with Spain being predominantly a, a Catholic country, uh, is it difficult to kind of find the things that you need regarding like Norse paganism or just paganism in general, whether it's like, uh, you know, like certain supplies for altar stuff, things like that, or just books in general? Uh, it is actually uh, difficult in a sense. Uh, it depends on whether you aligned or not with the COE, like the COI, is uh, the, the Spanish Odinist commune, uh, uh, commune or community. Sorry. Um, basically, it's like they were the first one who came out in Spain as an official organization that talks about paganism and they believe in, uh, in the old gods. But they have like some points a lot of pagans in Spain don't align with. They are maybe like too dogmatic. They, they, uh, but first of all, they uh, they qualify themselves as as a group, not as you know pagans, and so that limits the amount of gods they actually worship. And also, uh, they are just too dogmatic. It's like they are working one of the same, like the same the church does, just changing you know to the uh, to all gods and reinterpreting these all sources on their way and making it like. It is this way, and so a lot of people don't align with that, uh, and that's uh, that's sad because a lot of sources are translated or written by people that do align with them. Sorry, and so uh, most of the time you have to come back just to uh, you know um, people from the universities that translate translate old tests and you tests and you have to interpret them yourself. They usually have like some quotes on on the bottom of the page talking about the the era of the author of the uh, of the text or whatever. But if you want to find like pagan Britain sources in Spain in Spanish, sorry, I, I find it like difficult. Okay. I don't know. Well, my my question for you, Raúl, is you're in the old country, you're in Spain, <clears throat> and we do know that there are some evidence of the Vikings going to Spain. Have you been? anywhere where they landed to like either winter or did small amount of raids along like the coast of the Iberian Peninsula, which I know you're in the southern part of Spain. Uh, yeah, uh, actually there are there are a few sites that confirm to be to have been raided by Vikings in the in time. And one of those, uh, it's actually pretty close to where I live. I study in Seville, which is uh, like the a big city down in Spain. And in near near the city, there's a there's a village that's called uh, I, I think it was um, Marina del Rio, uh, no Coria del Rio, sorry Coria del Rio. And in basi basically, that village has like the worst luck ever because everybody that has come to Spain has raided that city just because it is up the river, <laughs> and so everyone who came they they got in there. Um, and also there are a lot of places in the north of Spain that allegedly have been visited by the by the Vikings, and I I've also been there. Although there are not like any archaeological sources, actually, there are more like historical sources. Like there's, for example, a, a village I don't quite remember the name in North Spain in uh, Asturias, I think, where which is basically it has a name that they derives from Nordic War, and it's in the middle like 
of a, uh, it's, it's among a lot of, of other villages and cities that have, don't have any Nordic words or, or meaning or anything. It's just that one. And, uh, and historians think that may uh, hint that it is actually an old Viking settlement of Vikings that decided just to stay here and blend in with the population. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to, to visit those, those places and realize that you are like imbued in this, in this big pastel, right? Yeah, uh, that's one thing I wanted to ask you. Whenever you were visiting those places, did you feel any of the presence of the gods there or like feel a lambate or anything? Uh, not really. Uh, those places seems to be to me like any other place. I I kind of feel like the places the god the gods uh, decide to manifest in relate more to the, you know, to, uh, not not so much to history and and much more to the actual spirit of the land. Right, because it it doesn't matter if this place was like a mythical forest in ancient times or whatever. Uh, if right now it is a road, there is a road, and and so it's not maybe it's not the most settled place for a god to appear. But if it is like a, an old town or, or whatever that was abandoned and that's reclaimed by nature, that's that's full of life energy, man. That's a good place for for gods to manifest. So I I you know I kind of kind of don't see this. Uh, this typical association that people make with, hey, the Vikings were here, so gods must must be like close here. Not, not necessarily. So like kind of go on that. So I grew up pretty close to a Native American heritage site. It's called Serpent Mounds in Ohio. And we would visit it occasionally. And it was very commercialized. Like, yes, there was a lot of archaeological evidence and like, you know, facts all over the place, had a little museum there. But it was mostly used for like small, cheap, little commercial, like in Native American Indian festivals and things like that. And it was pretty unimpressive. Um, and ultimately, I didn't feel anything there. Yes, there were burial mounds, um, but at the same time, they hadn't been venerated or honored in a way that made them special anymore. And I kind of like you said, if it's a road, it's a road. And at the end of the day, this became a tourist attraction. Now, could that spirituality and magic come back to it? Yes, of course. But the same time, you know, I believe what makes a place sacred, what gives a place the ability for the gods to manifest to them is, is what they're being used for now. Are they being honored? And we, and it's up to us as pagans and as believers in the old ways to bring those things back and, you know, make these places special again. I don't know. That's, that's just more of a comment than anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like, and that's one of the uh, beautiful, beautiful parts of it. Of it. It's like, we, we are in a sack in a precise time now to to you know to affect the world either in a really really negative way by either you know ruining all of or not doing not, not doing anything or we can actually like uh, empower a real change with which we really need not only not only as a society or whatever like literally Midgar is crumbling because of us. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, especially since, you know, you guys just went through all those wildfires not too long ago. I mean, it, how, I mean, you know, that might be something you don't want to talk about, but how was that as like a pagan, as someone that venerates nature and these things, like to go through such a, such a tragic event as that? Uh, it is actually pretty painful. Um, I, I would like to say it is a rare event, but actually it is not. It's like Spain is one of the countries of the European Union with which reserve most of the, of the like, forest mass. Uh, and so we have like a lot of, uh, of fires in summer, especially. Um, but yeah, this uh, this year we had one like really really close to my village that was especially big. It burned it burned down like uh, a thousand uh, what's the name hectares. Like 
if you like a square like of one acres, yeah, acres. it's like it's like a, a square of one hundred meters long, basically like a, a thousand or so. It's like devastating, and and it was really really sad because the the road that connects the lead, the city I live in with the with my village. When I came back here, you know, because yeah, it was Monday. I have to come back. <laughs> Uh, it was, you know, it was really, really disturbing to see like uh, kilometers and kilometers of empty road with ashes at both sides. It was really, really devastating. I don't like to say it is a rare event, but every 30 years or so, we have like a beach, a big, huge, massive fire somewhere in Spain. Um, and we are not even like done with it. As the temperature rises every year, we are worse and worse. Every time it's worse. Uh, it's a horrendous sight to see, and you can definitely feel like the the land hurts after it. And uh, just just mm, was it? I don't, I don't remember if it was last year or the other one, but there was a, another fire like really really close to my village. It was like smaller, but still you could feel it. It was a fire like run run uh, <laughs> it ran up like a, a whole mountain and it burned everything on its past. And just you know walking by and seeing. What was what used to be green in a in an ash gray man? Yeah, you, you can definitely feel that that burn energy to say. I, I don't know how to express it, but I, I guess you get my point. <laughs> I guess the the main question I've got is just how um, how do you go about trying to uh, to connect with the gods in um, in Spain? Because it's not one that people would normally think about. But that's kind of how it is for a lot of us. Because most of us are in. Well, like a lot of us are in the podcast or in the southern United States, you know, it's hot, it's not cold, it doesn't really look like the old country or anything like that. So how do you go about connecting? Uh, yeah, well, uh, it is actually pretty similar to how you do this guy uh, there. The, we try different things and depending on the pagan you talk to, we have like these different uh, rituals. Me, myself, for, for example, being a braggy guy, I've always... I, I'm like a really nervous and distract guy. I'm always, I've been, I, I found it like really difficult to just sit tight into my mind and connect. And so I, I've always connected like kind of in a, if in an industrious way to say so, like crafting something or playing something, yes, you know, taking one little maraca egg size or whatever and I start playing a rhythm and trying to concentrate on that and go and go along with the, with the rhythm and connect with all that's around because, uh, I usually try to to connect with the gods either in the nature, which actually, which uh, likely we have a lot of here, even in the cities. We have like big parks, every um, and grass areas everywhere, or or either in, at, at my home, uh, you know, with the altar and, and everything. And depending on, on that, uh, I put music or not. If I'm outside, I like to, you know, go uh, flow between uh, different sounds uh, on the on the country. We, we, we also do things like uh, in community, but it's a little weird because there, there is not a lot of Norse pagan here in Spain, at least not that I know of. And so we usually end up like, like mixing our practices uh, with other pagans like weekends and, and such, just to blend in our, our differences to try to celebrate together. And that's something that happens like quite often. That's actually pretty interesting that like, you're saying like the blending in with the different like uh different forms of paganism and stuff like that because i mean like you said it's it's difficult to find specifically like norse pagans um has has any of those like other practices kind of blended in with your own personal stuff after going through some of those like community cool. gatherings and things yeah of course of course it's like 
For example, uh, I was born in a village, and so uh, I, I'm used to seeing animal blood and everything. I've seen like, you know, when they kill a pig or whatever, and making to pieces. Uh, most people in the cities and such haven't seen that, but, and so I'm used to people getting shocked when I say like, sometimes I can use like blood or whatever on a specific ritual. But uh, I remember this time we were going to, going to make an offering uh, and I decided to offer, uh, make the offering with blood, all right? With, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty easy to find here in Spain in a meat shop or whatever, because we actually use it to cook some things. It's not, not everything, but you know, traditional food from your grandma or whatever. <laughs> and I, went, I was just speaking like naturally, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this, this friend of mine. He's, she's a weekend, kind of a weekend <laughs> and also a witch. And I was like talking naturally, yeah, I'm gonna buy like this and this and I'm gonna, I, I'm thinking about uh, doing this ritual. And, and the moment I mentioned blood, her face like blank. And she was like, Blood? No, no way to describe like the horror she expressed at that moment. Uh, just because for her that was like black magic. You you cannot use blood. It is dangerous. For me, it was like it's just a, it's part of the ritual. What is what's wrong with it? Uh, and so uh, those kinds of, of things make you in this case in particular, for example, like uh, care a lot more about like using anything like. Uh, animal or vital only on a on an offering or on a ritual or whatever just because uh, you you kind of pick these uh, these little things for other people that surround you and that's actually pretty funny because uh, it relates a lot to a spanish philosopher which is called Ortega Gasset which like mm, top premise was like everyone has it right at least in a little thing and so you have to meet with everybody to actually get the whole picture and the whole truth so moving into Braggy, um, obviously I've, I've made a video about him not too long ago. And when I was doing my research, I found it was very hard to find information on him. So how do you, how did you go about working with a deity that we know so little about and how, how was your process in connecting with him? I, I'm, I'm going to go first with the, how do I find information about him? Because he's actually pretty, pretty interesting. Sometimes when you speak with other pagans, I've known pagans who, who don't even recognize Braggy as a deity. Because I identify him as this uh, historical uh, character, like Braggy the Old, who was this poet on the sixth uh, century, uh, century, and they just go on with it. And it's like, no, he's not a god. This is like uh, wrong in the sources or whatever. And so they, they don't take him into account. But I'm, when, when you feel it and when you, you, you see the work of the god, it's, it's actually, uh, you know, you cannot deny it. Uh, so any kind of doubt I had about that, because, you know, when you change information with pagans, you try to uh, comprehend everything I met, went through the window when I first connected with Braggy, like deeply connected with him. And it was an experience where I, uh, after, you know, it was a personal conflict uh, with a friend, which I, uh, uh, it, it was a violence involved, but uh, and I really have the upper hand to, to go with violence there, but I decided not. And I decided to go like with a more diplomatic approach. And actually came came up on top with that approach, and and that's another part of Braggy that mm, I don't see reflected in the sources most of the time. It is maybe on the side line, uh, but Braggy not only being the god of uh, music and poetry, he's also the most the most diplomatic of the gods. If we look at Senna, the first, the first thing he does when well, he comes in is not like try to fight him or try to insult him. Or it is like you know you are not received here. Uh, I know that as well. I, I'm willing to pay you something. I'm willing to to pay my effort for you to just go away and don't cause any trouble. 
he's always trying to get this more uh, diplomatic approach. Um, and also, about, uh, if you meet some sources, you actually get to a real point. I mentioned this on, on the comments on your uh, video about Bragi. And my my thoughts on the on the actually origin of Bragi as how you do you blend in the the historical sources that are talking about this poet and what we know from the era about Bragi being the son of Odin is the fact that we know a lot of gods like to roam around Midgar. It's not weird for me to think that Bragi just came down to show a little bit of uh, music and culture to the people of time. Because time was, things were rough. People didn't have the, the commodities we have nowadays to just start playing an instrument or drawing or whatever. They have to provide from themselves first. And, and even if you see in, in nature, like birds, uh, and you know, I, I don't remember the name the, in English, the black insect who sings, he sings. You can see music in nature. Music is something that comes a long way before humans uh, came around dealing with it. And so for me, Bragi is actually the son of Odin and the one who started all this uh, art and footage stuff. He just came down as Bragi the Old. And if you match the, the descriptions of the of, of Bragi the in the Eras, um, Bragi the Old, like being it, it's basically the same character who came down and, and decided to tell us something, kind of. Uh, um, and actually, I've lost myself. <laughs> Not when I what I am anymore. Uh, I was talking about, oh yeah, um, did, did you, you asked me about uh, connecting with him, right? Yes, how do you connect with him or how did All you right. connect with him? Yeah, um, a lot of the times uh, my connection with Raggy doesn't have to be like a long talk or anything. Sometimes I just, you know, wake up, I have like this inspiration or whatever, and I write two, three lines of something beautiful, uh, beautiful region I thought of. And I place it, I place it uh, at his altar. It's just for him. Um, and that's one of the ways I honor him right, on a daily basis. I wasn't actually trying to connect with him and trying to get some attention with him and some uh, advice or some feedback. Uh, I try to work, offer him something uh, worth more. Like I actually sit and read a long poem or a long history or whatever I'm reading to him. I may uh, like play him a song or whatever and, and then ask him for his like, Braggy, I've offered you this entertainment. I offer you. Uh, the, the things you are most proud of uh, and, and what's your duty in, in Valhalla. And so I, I, offer, uh, I offer him something I think is worth for him in, to, to try to get his attention and make uh, his time work. Because even though Bragi has like this more high um, light-hearted spirit compared to Odin, he's just as wise and he's just as, as deep of a god. Um, and, and you have to always keep that in mind because sometimes with Bragi, I kind of feel you can get carried away. You can feel like, yeah, he's, he's, he's a, such a easy god to deal with, in a sense, that sometimes you forget the, uh, the, the you know, the serious part of this connection. Because uh, he's, he always, like, gets you in, in, with little thoughts and little uh, challenges. He, he, he drops on you, for example. It's like, this happens one day, talking with, with Cher, actually. I was just going to sleep, and he dropped, like, this little uh, thought of you should write a poem about Yggdrasil and it had to get up and it got up in the middle of the night and stay awake three three hours writing that poem and it was like and it was an irresistible urge and th those are some of my experience with Bragi apart from the you know the, the, the first ones we really did but I, I think it has like too much personal information to talk about that <laughs> 
I did not know it was that late whenever I sent you that message to Discord. I apologize, you know, because time zones are a thing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, being an artist, I, I imagine bragging is really important, you know, with, also for you, uh, Jacob and Caleb, you know, with your different forms of art. Uh, for someone like me, who I used to play music. I don't really play music much anymore. Uh, what would be your advice to those to try to connect to Braggy, like the, for a first offering or whatever, if they haven't watched Jacob's video? Well, first of all, Braggy sometimes, of course, you don't have, you can kind of refer him like something like, you know, you know, it's not so good or you just didn't care when Braggy did. But Braggy doesn't care that much sometimes about the decor and the, he cares much more about the intention of enlightening the world with the with, with the actual effort of making some, something beautiful and something stunning. But also, uh, as I said before, a lot of people don't realize that Bragi is not only the, the, the god of arts, he's also the, the, gods or the god of diplomats. And so something you can do on your daily basis is like basically trying to uh, resolve your conflicts with words rather than with the ads, you know? Uh, that's what, what we see Bragi doing. That's what we... Uh, Brian is basically known for like he's uh, really charismatic and he like talks to people. He knows how to get out his way with the, but uh, with with words. But also he's always honest because Loki can also get away uh, in his way with words, but he's deceitful. Bragi tells you tells you what's on. It's like it's clear on the table. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna try to convince you, but it's there. It's never like uh, a secret or something something sketchy around. And so I would tell you that trying to treat that, that honest way and that, uh, you know, way with people is a really good step for Bragi to, to notice you, maybe, and to, uh, and to bring some of his influence onto your life. So uh, with you being a musician, is there, like, when you actually <laughs> perform, do you actually feel his presence at all when you perform? Or do you feel like you kind of, like, embody him in a way when you, when you do sing? Uh, well, it is funny because uh, on my teenager years, before I I was a pagan or anything, and actually in that phase I was like uh, on this atheist phase, uh, I still used to call uh, music a goddess. Um, for me, it's kind of the same way. Uh, still, uh, instead now it's like not music is a goddess herself, but it's a manifestation of, of Bragi, of the sphere of influence of Bragi. I don't feel him every time, because, you know, gods are not there every time you call for them. But you can really feel him when there's something, uh, that's something I also wanted to talk about. Uh, for me, that's something magical on music. It's like, it doesn't matter who you talk to, everybody has like at least one song, like, and one song they, they cheer or they cry about. And there's no, you know, you can go with the scientific, scientific, stack, uh, scientific stuff and whatever. Um, and me studying biology, I get that, but there's something else. There's something else about music. For me, it's kind of a, a way of subtle magic. Um, it is said, the sources are not so clear. It's more like a reinterpretation source also of some old songs of the day. But it is said that Bragi had runes on his stone, carved by Odin. Uh, and I kind of interpret that interpreted that saying that, that in music and uh, in, in the usage of words, there is a subtle type of magic. Uh, and so, yeah, you can pretty much feel braggy when that magic clicks. That a, I definitely agree with um, what you were saying as far as like magic being in its own way, like a subtle form of magic. Because if you think about it, especially back in, you know, that time period where 
music for the most part was relatively hard to come by in a sense like you don't you can't just like you know hop on a computer and you know you go on youtube itunes spotify you know like we have today so like those who did perform using instruments at that time and that were musically talented were kind of like you know their own little gift in their way but the things that they were able to do with what they had back then was in a sense like truly magical because like you're, you're bringing you know a whole village together or you know uh, uh rallying you know warriors or something like that with drums you know getting that like that sense of um you know excitement or power or you know if it's say for like a, a funeral that that something sweet and somber and it, you just like you said you feel it regardless like you said everybody has their their one song that makes them you know really excited or you know something that brings out more of like a, a somber emotion out of it i definitely agree with you on that that like music music is in its sense in its own way a form of magic i agree with that yeah and it's uh i i really like uh i also like this you reminded me with this uh, thought about the whole village the whole village you remind me of a live uh, version of uh a word a song in which uh, Einar just starts speaking you know, and making some of his thoughts. Uh, and he says, uh, in the old days, sometimes people will sit by your bed where you were dying and sing to you as you pass away. He basically talked about how it is important to, to write songs for all time and to sing songs for all time because uh, past, past songs are gone um, uh, and you cannot recover them. And that's what, that's what will happen with every song eventually. It is our duty to keep this wheel going. And, and I think it's a really beautiful duty, actually. Uh, just going back to whenever you were saying that you feel, uh, like sometimes you feel braggy whenever you're singing and performing uh, music. I, I feel that whenever I, uh, like when I'm tattooing sometimes, more, more so when I'm tattooing myself, I guess, than when I do other people. But I, I feel this presence every, every so often, seldom, unless I'm doing something for Odin, and then a lot of times I'll feel him. <laughs> kind of like yes, you're doing what I told you, <laughs> kind of thing. He he actually when he shows up, it's like uh, he just comes around. You, you can feel he's he's around, but he's not actually doing anything. He just comes around and listens, and you can feel he's flowing through the through the rhythm through you know. I, and that's what way one of the reasons I use like rhythm pat, uh, pattern uh, ways to connect with with the gods, because as I said earlier, I I, I have. I think it's really difficult to concentrate and to blank my mind. And so for me, that rhythm and that, you know, subtle uh, magic flow is, it's for me like a really good way to connect and to keep myself focused. Yeah, whenever you're finding something like that, you can really get into it. It, it turns almost like meditative. Yeah. I'll find myself a lot while I'm tattooing. I'm just, I just get into that rhythm with it. And it's just, it quietens everything for me. I can focus so much better. Oh, yeah. Um, and well, and, I'm, and also it's like, uh, I forgot what I was going to say, sorry. <laughs> if you can throw any more questions, I forgot oh, yes. what I was saying. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I got you. Um, no, I was going to make a comment about like vibrations. So like within shaman, like shamanic drumming, the vibrations are really one of the key components of getting yourself into a trance. And so I find that a lot of music can do that for us as well. It's in particular, Norse pagan music, or at least like Nordic folk music or Germanic, whatever you want to call it, um, things like Heilung or things like Wardruna or even O.C. and the Jupiter, you know, they make music that is meant for ritual purposes. And so 
when it comes to like magic, like, yeah, when you're talking about like pop music, there's a little bit less magic in that. But when we're talking about music that has intent on being magical and has an intent on being something different, especially when I saw Highland Live uh, beginning of this year, I mean, when you see something like that perform in front of you, that's when you're like, that's magic. <laughs> it's a lot different. It's it's something everybody can recognize. And that's what I, uh, what I mean. That, that's one of the reasons that can be in the belief that music is magic, because that's it, it's universal. Anybody can recognize that. Uh, even if they don't like the style, they can recognize like that kind of flow. For example, it's like, do you ever? For example, in my case, I was like, yeah, with some friends or whatever, and they came, they came over, and I had, uh, you know, Halo on blast on the on the speakers, and and they just came in by door, and it was like. Hey, are you preparing anything special? It was like, no, I'm just listening to Halo. It was like, I thought because of the music, it's like, you don't even know what song it is. You don't even know the band or whatever, but you can feel what's the the vibe of the of the song, even if they do if you don't like it. Um, and that's something that comes along with a lot of things. It's like uh, coming back to what I said earlier, anybody can can relate to the to the sync of a of a bird. It's not even like as music style or whatever. It's been there for a long, long time, earlier than we've been here. And still you can recognize it. You uh, recognize it as beautiful and it has rhythm. And it has like this magic. You, you recognize it, even if you like it. It's like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm expressing myself too well today. No, I, uh, I definitely, <laughs> I can definitely agree to like the, the natural music. Um, with like you know the sounds of nature by its on its own you know like uh, a lot of stuff that I'll do as far as like when I'm trying to do uh, meditative stuff and I know a lot of you know meditative businesses do the same thing but a lot of their some of their uh, soundtracks are literally just recorded sounds of nature and it, it definitely does something to you even though you're not necessarily there it definitely works better and it's a lot more of a stronger like feeling when you're actually in say you know, a forest where you can hear birds, you can hear like the wind blowing through the leaves, um, you know, just the subtle like falling of acorns or branches, you know, and it's even better if you have like a river or a creek or something by it. Like you, you definitely feel that more powerful uh, music, like natural music when you're in nature. Yeah, and it's something that's everywhere. Even even from a, from early age, you, you can see the kids like, trying to even though you don't even know how to stand <coughs> how to stand so um i also thought uh, i i took this with shirt uh he uh, he told me we we may uh you may want me to read uh you know some part of the era uh, the era in spanish or whatever um <laughs> what did you guys what, did, what would you guys like me to read like have a mouth casino <laughs> uh i would say just like the first like you know like four or five stanzas of volus would probably be good because that's oh, right. commonly known, and honestly, it's some of the most poetic, in my opinion. I guess the uh, the translation will be like similar. Mine's not actually for anyone that's uh, Spanish speaking listening. If I have to advise you for any source book, go to Miraguano Ediciones. It's basically like a couple of experts in Icelandic, you know, Icelandic and stuff that translate things and they add some notes on the bottom of the page about historical facts which can actually help you to uh, paint your big picture and really understand what's happening without any, you know, uh, bias on it. Here it is. All right. Oid. 
pido a todas las estirpes divinas, grandes y pequeños, hijos de Heimdall, me pides, oh Balfour, que te refiera a las más viejas historias que puedo recordar. Recuerdo a los trolls, los primeros nacidos, que en tiempo lejano me dieron la vida. Nueve mundos recuerdo y nueve ramas, y el árbol del mundo aún bajo tierra. Fue en los tiempos primeros cuando Ymir vivió. No había arena ni mar, ni las frías olas. Tierra no había ni el alto cielo, solo el vacío abismo y tampoco había hierba. That's like the first three verses on the Volusca. You cannot tell me Braggy does not love the Spanish. Because I was looking <laughs> at, I was trying to find, I, uh, I was trying to find my French translation to see how it Yeah, but like I mean, because that language there, like Spanish in general, just the way it flows and it comes off the tongue is it's like a very romance, a very poetic language. We've, it just we've fits. talked about this on the server. Um <laughs> And uh, absolutely, I, mean, I, I actually think like Spanish is a difficult uh, language for music because we have like a really long uh, words sometimes with a really strong pronunciation. But when you write anything else, I, I love my language, man. <laughs> I can't help it. And we have a lot of poets in the south of Spain and that's for a reason. <laughs> Just because I have to now, because I've loaded up this ancient document, um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna read like the first line in French because I think French is the best way to read the poetic edit, in my opinion. I love the Spanish, though. <laughs> I am biased. <laughs> this is going to suck, because I haven't practiced my French in so long. Attendez mes mots, toutes les catégories d'armes, vu plus grand et monde, enfant de Handel, vous avez ma pelle ordin, pour dire ce dont je rappelle, de plus anxion et jean, de deux et d'armes. I love, I love French. Yeah. <laughs> This will probably be our most downloaded uh, podcast episode, guys, for the simple fact Jacob spoke in French. <laughs> now, now do German. Uh, right. Nine, nine. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for that. Seriously, I was, I was hoping for that. <laughs> it is definitely, it is definitely interesting, like hearing you know things like the poetic edda spoken in different languages, because honestly, it does sound more. Uh, it honestly sounds better you know what i mean like in my opinion it kind of sounds better because with english like our the english translation just sounds too too chunky like it doesn't flow you know what i mean it's very just like word 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 and then try to pronounce something that is you know translated from icelandic or is a, a you know an old Nor norse word and then you you try to fit all these different uh, pronunciations with the vowels and everything like that and it's just it doesn't sound at nearly as good I think especially when you have a Texan accent like I got and you look at all these vowels and syllables and I'm just like I cannot pronounce that but definitely I, I feel you there like just with, with the different language and stuff like the English just isn't that good like just comparing if we're going to talk languages for a minute Spanish to English, we have one word for love. They have what, what is it, roll six or seven have, different languages? We have a lot of words for the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and, they, and they all carry out like sometimes the same meaning, but guess we have a slightly uh, change, you know? Uh, it gives like a lot of flexibility when writing or when, uh, you know, composing because yeah, you can actually find the exact meaning you want for that word. It's not that hardcore, as hardcore as German in that sense, <laughs> but 
Yeah, we, we have that, of course. <laughs> I was running to go get, uh, Tina sent me these books from Germany. Um, they're German children's books and they're Viking themed in German. Uh, so, so this one's called like Sigurd und, uh, und die Stark und Frauen, Freuen. And it's like about this village of like Viking women and like the men get attacked by like berserkers while the women are off raiding or something like that. Um, so I just thought it was funny because you were like reading it in German and I even have like this like intermediate book on like the gods in German which I don't uh, understand in the slightest <laughs> no, German, German is rough to read man German is rough oh it's to so read. hard to read but but you but you speak <laughs> French way better like I guess you took French in high school I took French for like seven years so yeah it's a lot my French is a lot better I took yeah. three years of German and then one in college I don't remember nothing <laughs> I want to change the Spanish. I can help you with Spanish. Uh, I'm actually trying to learn uh, Russian because my. Oh, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> my girlfriend is going to kill me when she hears how hopefully how I pronounce that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, language are really fun. And I, I kind of I feel uh, that there are some languages that are more suited for some purposes than others. English, for example, is like a really economic language, but it's what you say, when you compare it with, with Latin language, with all world language, we have this uh, much more uh, depth, just because depth because we are just not as economic as a language. Well, people ask me all the time, they're like, well, especially like Old Norse, like people ask me if I'm learning Old Norse, if I'm interested in learning Old Norse or Icelandic. And I think a lot of people, when they get on this path, they think it's necessary in a way. And like, honestly, I just don't care. Like, I don't think it's necessary. Um, I think it's, you know, something if you do want to learn, like at the fall gathering, I learned some German to speak uh, some opening lines. And I do think that each language has its place. And so I maybe in some ceremonial purposes, learning Old Norse as a language, but like there's no sense in learning it in a conversational way, in my opinion. Oh yeah, I was also going to talk about Nefertafel. Yes, because uh, I found it funny and I, I haven't heard you guys mention it once. <laughs> well, apparently you were bringing it up. All right, what do we want? What do you want people to know about <laughs> Nefertafel? <laughs> I would like people to play Nefertafel, actually. It's a pretty easy game to crap and to uh, and to play, and it has a lot of depth, uh, actually, when you when you go on it. And I just, uh, I find it funny how people get into a lot of uh, things like learning as language, but they don't get into things that were like a, even a status thing on their time. You know, as Nefotafel, it was considered like, if you played good Nefotafel, you were like a high born or whatever, or they considered you really intelligent. And so I, I found it like a cool way to, to try to connect maybe with uh, those people of the time. Like try to see with their eyes and, and play. It is like a big part of our, of our religion is connected to, to actually interpret uh, what we know and try to bring it to modern days. One of the single parts we can actually truly recreate or most mostly truly recreate is these kind of things like, you know, uh, the games, the gathering, the traditions. Um, and I see a, a, a lot of people like, you know, not acknowledging that, focusing on maybe other things not as uh, as profound to understand Vikings in society uh, and you know, Norse society. So I believe we have to understand like the people to actually understand how our gods presented them, you know, presenting uh, presented the, themselves to, to the people that time. Um, 
and this connects to what I was going to say earlier, which I just remember, that is the the importance of this of the written sources, which for me are also part of the at least partially part of the circle of circle of influence of Bragi. Because of these uh, poets of the of old and of these uh, writers and artists and whatever and the scouts, they basically kept going out of of history that would have been lost otherwise, and Without it, we wouldn't even know uh, maybe the old gods. We wouldn't even be here, maybe. And and so I found it uh, important not only to to connect with the you know what, what we know that was written. Uh, it is also important to write things around. Between like like this, for example, like sharing your thoughts and letting them uh, flow and and go away for and for other people who may need it, because. We've been all lost at the first uh, moments in, in this faith. Uh, Jacob, you talk about this like a lot on the channel about how this uh, faith is about uh, learning and experiencing, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm reading a lot, and and that's also applicable, I think, like universally for the pagans of the future. They may they may need to relate to us to actually find their way in in the future years, and it is uh, such a beautiful thing to see. A lot of people is starting to record their segas in YouTube channels, vegan accounts, uh, but but also it is important to do it like in a personal sense, not only with the grand picture, but also with little experience that may help. Nor the pagans, maybe your family, your your sons, they you told them. I don't know. Uh, I kind of I kind of feel that stories are a part of Bragi as well, and um, making us a story interesting when you tell it is a big part of how the person who listens uh, learns from it. Uh, and so it's such a big part of our culture, of our culture and it's that it's been a lot of times like uh, overlooked, I feel. I mean, yeah, I think we've talked about a few times on here, the importance of uh, sharing our modern saga and things like that and, you know, sharing our stories. It's funny, I bring out the, the German books, but I look forward to reading, you know, my future children books in German if I'm able to. Um, but also like the idea of sitting down children in the future, you know, 10 to 15 years from now when, you know, we have, many of us have children or they begin to grow up. It's, you know, sitting them down and telling them stories of what we have done. So like we can sit down and talk about like, we'll have to filter it quite a bit, but tell the story of uh, ba Caleb Baker and the, you know, the Northern, not the, uh, like the Odin's, uh, what do we call it? Odin's bear, Odin's berserker. What do we call it? The, the, beast the beast of Odin, what you could call them. Yeah, yeah, the beast of Odin. Like we have to like change that story a little bit and not mention some of the details. But you know, talking about that in a way that you know helps children understand the depth of the faith without necessarily diving too deep into it. You know, like just bringing it up, like, hey, this this faith has depth, and I think that is so important. Like we may embellish some details along the way, but who doesn't embellish stories? And that's something I think I I rose in defense of like the Vikings TV show is in the sense that it like. Yes, it embellishes things. Yes, it's not completely historically accurate. But at the same time, is our faith storytelling not embellishing? Is our poetic eddas not embellishing of each other? And I think that's one of the cool cultural things I would love to see come back, especially in a real like person on person sense is us sharing our stories of triumph together. I just got two things real quick. So just on the embellishing thing, I mean, just if you want to, to see that in action, I mean, just look at the saga of the Volsungs. It's ridiculously filled with, uh, with embellishments like crazy. Um, and two, I'm trying not to think about 15, 20 years from now because I could have grandkids by then, <laughs> to be completely honest. I'm trying not to think about that. No, I definitely agree with the with the 
you know, I know we have people like chronicling the, all the stories that are given to them from, you know, gatherings and such. And yeah, it, it is it is interesting and kind of fun to think about in a sense, you know, what stories will we be telling the, the future generation, you know, like what kind of things will they be going to? Like, obviously with modern day technology, it's a lot easier to track a lot of that stuff. Like, you know, we have the YouTube, Instagram, we have the podcast, you know, like people can go back and look at a lot of these things. But I feel like the the actual sitting down, like what you were saying with Nepaltafel, like sitting down and playing a game with somebody, you know, and ex exchanging stories while playing, you know what I mean? Or, um, you know, I know, Jacob, you mentioned it during your uh, review on or your first 15 minutes for Assassin's Creed Valhalla was, you know, people just busting out into song at, you know, like a, a, in the hall, like at a gathering, you know what I mean? Like doing things like that, like we could be turning stories and events, you know, that we've already experienced, whether it was at a previous gathering or, you know, a story that somebody else told and turning it, you know, into a song, you know, and, and kind of going off of that and bringing back that, that cultural aspect of, you know, the embellishment and the storytelling and the singing and everything like that. I, I definitely would, I'm a huge fan and huge supporter of that because I've been thinking about it a lot, actually having recently been playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla and seeing a lot of the the cultural things that were done. Like, I mean, it's pretty, as far as we know, it's pretty accurate. And it 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 definitely makes me start to think like, why aren't we doing that? You know, like, why not? Well, you know, I think I'm like uh, me and Chris, I feel like me and him, all me and him do is flight each other. Like, I feel like that's most of our, all of our relationships with Chris is we all just flight. Like <laughs> this all the time and it's like we didn't have to have necessarily a name for it but at the same time it's you know a way of talking about like playfully roasting people without getting so sensitive and hurt and i think we can all agree that this uh, our generation might be a little too sensitive at times and so i think it's it's good to have a little bit a little bit of flighting and bring yourselves down so we don't get so you know so trapped in our own heads that we 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 forget that we're all human in the end definitely yeah, I mean, I, we're bringing yeah, out these big barrels of meat and just having chugging contests all the time too <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan of both of those uh, because if I ever agree with Chris, it's, it's very rarely. I'm always the one that talks the most uh, crap or whatever you want to call it towards him. But yeah, we, we definitely need to be writing our, our modern sagas and stories. Like I just see it all the time on Discord, you know, whenever we talk about the eternal table we had once and everybody's like, oh, when's the next, when, when are we going to do another eternal table? And then we're like, we're just all the organizers are like, no. <laughs> but uh, for anyone that doesn't know, the Eternal I, Table was a Discord voice chat that lasted for three days straight, nonstop. Um, it was pretty impressive. And every morning, I woke up. I'm like, "You guys are still awake?" And they're like, "Yeah." For, for me, for me, it was actually pretty amazing because uh, it it, it uh, has uh, disappointed me the voice chat. And, and I I explain myself not because I didn't like it. It was amazing. I spent like almost the three days talking with shirts. Some of the times we spent like hours alone. Talking about cosmology, food, uh, you know, we've talked an hour straight about Texas barbecue. <laughs> yeah, um, I gotta talk about the best, one yeah, of the best yeah. things about Texas. You know, <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. And, <laughs> but for me, it was the first, uh, it was the, net, the, the day, uh, it was, yeah, it was the, the next day to the day uh, I was invited into the server. Uh, and when I, when I joined, it was like, Oh yeah, we have this uh, voice chat table uh, on Fridays. Oh, all right, all right. I came in like you know uh, waiting. It was like uh, I was 
in the mood like, oh yeah, it's gonna be like two, three hours. And the table just continued. And for me, it was like, all right, every fucking weekend I'm spending, I'm spending it here. And now it's only Friday night. <laughs> I'm so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> nah, seriously, it's like it's a really, really cool thing. Like the own table is, and it's, and it's it has gotten so big, we have to divide it. it it's brutal. This yeah, it's definitely great hard, to though. see the Discord. Yeah, I mean it's, it's it's great to see the Discord growing and how we all each have the different tables. And then you look at the organizers and we all tease each other. Still, like Jacob said with the flight, and by changing the names of the table, like you know the Ian's short table. Uh, it's just different things like that. Just seeing the community come together. I think um, one of the things, you know, I'm sure after we end this podcast, we're going to all be talking about Assassin's Creed Valhalla for like 20 or 30 minutes because we're all playing it for the most part besides Raul, who hasn't downloaded it, but hasn't played it. Um, but <laughs> I, sorry, sorry for being poor, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, one of the things I'm really loving about the game, you know, I'm sure plenty of people are going to have problems with historically historic accuracy. But at the end of the day, we don't know the individual lives of every person that existed back then. And this gives us a brief window of what it could have been. Because at the end of the day, as human beings, we love to laugh. We love to, you know, we love to fall in love. We love to be flawed. Like human beings have not changed basically in thousands of years. We, the lives we live now are filled with technology, but at the end of the day, they're about the same as they were. We want companionship. We want, you know, fellowship. And we're, we've been flighting each other for hundreds of years. And it's so cool to get to see that in that environment because, you know, it, the game slows down enough to let you see those. And it makes me really excited for what we might see moving forward with our community and culture. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the only thing different is we don't have to go hunting and gathering as much as our ancestors did with the modern technology stuff we have today. We, we get food delivered to us if we don't want to go get anything. They didn't have that. But that we're still the same. You know, we still have all these social engineered designs into our bodies from our ancestors. And it's great to see these things. And we need to express the stories. You know, we need to write down our modern sagas, like uh, what Jason's doing with the book he just came out with, uh, Wandering Yiddishville on Instagram. I can't tell you how many pagans in the Discord alone have bought that book to support him. And, and from what I've heard, it's a great read. Mine's on the way. I was going to ask you, Raul, have you ever thought about writing a book in Spanish or composing like Spanish, you know, Nordic tales or something like that? I'd love to see those. Oh, yeah. Uh, gotta be honest, it's a thought that has been in my mind from much earlier than me being a pagan. I've always been like, I, I had, I used to have like this, uh, this blog that was called like A Bard on a Way, A Bard on a Camino in Spanish. Hey, in Spanish, <laughs> sorry, switching language. And it was just, when I had a time, I write like little stories and things. And I, I've always liked writing. And I really want to write a book, but it's, it's in a point between, I don't want to, uh, when I have an idea, it's like, I don't want to spend my time on a bad idea. Uh, so maybe that's like some kind of lack of confidence by my part or anything. Uh, and also it's like, I, I'm not as industrious as I should. And that's something I, I definitely want to work on because I, uh, I I've improved a lot on that actually uh, as a pagan because uh, when when you compare you usually usually hear like no like the, the the true faith when people like are more compromised with the faith of the Christians or whatever I know like a very little amount of Christians that are as engaged in their faith as the medium pagan is. Uh, 
but still I'm not uh, as, uh, you know, I, I, I need to work on my, I don't know what's the word, uh, industriousness, I guess. But keep working, being constant with yep. it. Hey, you have a wonderful community that will totally support whatever you do. We'd love to see it. Um, you know, <laughs> as soon as you're able to, we're all here for you. And then we're all going to hijack you over here in the United States and you can finally eat some Texas barbecue. Definitely. Well, like I said, whatever gathering Raul first goes to, I'm, I'm coming. Like, I got to meet this man um, in person. I, when, I, when I finish the, the poem I'm working on, which I'm still working on, <laughs> because, it, you know, it's much more, uh, much more complicated than I thought in the first place. Uh, you guys are the first one getting it. It's actually like, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier. Basically, it's a, a work from Braggy. He, he came to me, he dropped on me this uh, this thing. It was like the, a sudden idea on my head. Like the moment, what I told you earlier, I have to walk up and start writing. Uh, and basically, it's a, it's a point I'm writing about Brazil uh, with uh, a simple premise. It has to have uh, like, nine of everything. Each verse has to have nine syllables, then it has to be nine groups or of nine verses each. Um, and I'm still working on it. I have like some things figured out. I have like a kind of rhythm with the liar and stuff, but still there are a lot of patchy parts when I, which I want to fix because I want it to be right. I get in that haiku territory with the, um, the syllable um, rule on there. Yeah, haikus are seven syllables of your English. Yeah. Uh, idea. We need to get Jason and Raul to make a book, oh. a poem book. <laughs> and like they can each translate the different poems from English to Spanish and vice versa. And then French. You would have to do the French one. We, uh, unless, <laughs> do, we, do we even have someone in from France in the Discord yet? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't I have the Canadians. I'm gonna I'm gonna probably make Frankie and the other Canadians mad. Uh, they're they're French light. They're not really French. They're Canadians. Man. <laughs> oh man, they're so mad at you. Have that country is French, shirt. <laughs> no, but Raul, whenever you do come to the U.S., I've got a I've got a really good tattoo idea for you. For I'll sure, for sure. It. I'll be thinking about it. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> when right. I go there, I, I will I will presume like yeah, this this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, but guys, uh, I think yeah. we're, we're definitely diverging the conversation away from anything uh, yeah. structured. So I yeah. do think we're at a good point. We could probably end it. We're getting to the hour mark. Uh, I think we've had a lot of great conversation. And uh, But Raul, I'll leave it to you. Is there anything else you want to say? Where can people find you on social media if they want to? Oh, yeah. Uh, anyone who, can, who wants to find me, I'm called Tenitas uh, del Ragnarok. It's Ashes of Ragnarok in English, if you want to translate it or whatever. Or either go to the uh, uh, Jacob's YouTube channel, and you can look at the "Not on the Winter" video. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll uh, leave a link to your Instagram in the uh, in the podcast description too. Nice. Uh, and well, uh, yes, thank you all. Sorry for all my rambling. Uh, my, my English is definitely uh, a lot rustier than I thought, um, and I found myself rambling more than not. So uh, I hope everything was at least understandable. Uh, and of course, thank you all guys for having me here. I think um, I had such a fun time and I really enjoy like, having the opportunity to talk with you uh, about these things. I don't have the chance to film my own table. <laughs> well, next time we have you on the podcast, you'll have to speak in Russian, it sounds like. Well, I can tell you uh, one important sentence everybody needs to know. Which basically means uh, 
How about a beer? Or... <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I guess we'll go ahead and start ending this episode. But thank you all so much for joining in through this. I hope you've all enjoyed our, our guests from across the ocean. If you would like to be a guest on the Folk Podcast, we're looking for guests to fill out our December block. So give us an email at thefolkpodcast at gmail.com so you can potentially share your story with us. Once again, that's thefolkpodcast at gmail.com, all lowercase. Um, but folk, until the hall. Scott. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I haven't muted. I haven't muted. Do you want to do? What do you want to say, Scott, one more time? Uh, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, just say Scott, and then Jacob can edit it. Out. Scott, slide it over there. <laughs> no, I think I think we all did really well. That's good. All right. Yeah. That's that's probably the best one we've done yet. Yeah. No. And I wasn't in it. <laughs> All right, all right. Oh man, I, I have my chance. <laughs> all right, everyone, everyone pause and let him say skull real quick and I'll shift it over. <laughs> Try not to laugh while you do it. All right. Skull! Oh, there we go. There we go. There we go. There we go.